This podcast is part of the Headstuff Podcast Network. Hello, 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 and welcome to another episode of I Know That Face, the only podcast which honours the often underappreciated by the masses work of character actors. My name is Stephen Portia. My name is Andrew Carroll. And today we are discussing a Cockney geezer. Yeah, Boboskins. Boboskins, innit? Hello. Andrew, run down his history. Yeah. Let's do it. Bob Hoskins was born in London in 1942. He left school at 15 because uh, he, he, he was written off as stupid because of his dyslexia. Uh, he spent time working menial jobs in England, Israel and Syria. Uh, he began acting in theatre at 26. He had major f- roles in TV and film in the mid to late 70s when he was in his mid-30s. He has a deep, deep hatred of Tony Blair. I saw that, yeah. <laughs> he hate, thinks she, he's worse than Margaret Thatcher. Controversial, but I mean, mm. you know, uh, it's you know, it's it's there. He's an Oscar nominee for the film Mona Lisa. He won a BAFTA, the Cannes Best Actor Prize and a Golden Globe for Mona Lisa. He had an Emmy win for the BBC TV show The Street. Uh, he's one of Britain's very best actors. And sadly, he's now passed away at Died the age of 71, 71 from mm. pneumonia. Yeah, We stand a legend. We do. I just heard a funny thing from him when somebody asked him, what song do you want them to play at your funeral? <laughs> and he was like, I'm I not going to be there. Yeah. I don't care. <laughs> I don't give a shit. Yeah. <laughs> Talking about Bob Hoskins, no. um, a lot of the character actors that we've been focusing on um, when you watch a handful of their movies back to back, as we've been doing, mm. and you're trying to decipher their career as a whole, start to realise that while they are very versatile they do tend to often alternate between mm. two big modes Yeah. so like we talked about Viola Davis it's she either plays put upon subservient housemaids yeah. and, ho- and housewives in period movies or you know figures of authority in current day thrillers with Mendelssohn it was reprobates with yeah, varying yeah, degrees yeah. of humanity and depth I think with Hoskins I think it's that he can dance between being so effortless he's charming mm. and likeable but also being very dangerous and scary. Yeah, yeah. And uh, I think that's on display in a lot of the movies that we're going to talk yeah, about. A lot of people called him the British Joe Pesci. Yeah. When he was around in like the 70s and 80s and 90s. I heard the Cockney Cagney yeah. as well, which is brilliant. <laughs> um, but yeah, so I think we're going to see that dichotomy in yeah, a lot of the movies yeah, we're going to talk yeah, about. Yeah. So um, we should probably talk about the movie that gave him his big break. Yeah, Long yeah the Friday. Long of Friday, yeah, yeah. Which we, and we have kind of a connection to this yeah, movie. Yeah, yeah, we was, studied it in college. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember the lecture theatre was freezing <laughs> it, it was so cold it was the depths of winter in 2015 or whenever yeah he plays um harold shand kind of a gangster turned legit businessman um who's like trying to scoop up the docklands before thatcher's government can and invest in them it is a grim film i've never seen so many cranes in a film before <laughs> it's a film with a great tagline it's like what's the tagline who, who lit the fuse that tore harold's world apart oh Ooh, yeah is it all over one Friday? I, a weekend, I think. A weekend. Yeah, yeah. And the, the long Good Friday weekend. He's trying to get these Americans to invest with him, these American yeah, mafia yeah, people, and yeah. they're over in London. And he's trying to make everything nice for them. And make yeah, them he calls food. them the mafia, but they're definitely not. They seem like yeah, middle he, managers. He, yeah, he yeah, thinks yeah. they're the mafia, but I don't think they are. Because at the end, he has the great line where he's like, the mafia, I've shit him. <laughs> yeah, so I've took down so many quotes from mm. the things he says yeah. to them in that last scene. Just berates them yeah, for five yeah. minutes. It's awesome. So he's um, hosting these mafia people. But while he's doing that, um, a lot of his men start getting offed and yeah, there's a lot yeah. of attacks against him, bombs yeah. going off, people him being shot at. Yeah. And he doesn't know where it's yeah, coming yeah. from. And over the course of the movie, you start to realize that maybe it could be, is, is his right-hand man, Jeff, yeah, responsible yeah. for it? Yeah. Is the threat coming from within? Yeah, and indirectly is, he kind of is, but, or is he? 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It could be people from abroad. Yeah. Winky winky. Yeah. You know. <laughs> oh, who could it be in eighties <laughs> Britain? <laughs> <laughs> the explanation for it is so great. Yeah, yeah. Because yeah. it's it's very complex but also so simple. I know. Well. I love how much they lionize the group of people that are doing it. Like they really vilify them and make them out to be like this incredibly strong, violent political force. And we, like they're just a bunch of men in balaclavas and leather jackets at the end of the day. I think that might be our view of them. Totally. It's the IRA. It's, it's no, <laughs> there's no say. point like dancing around this stupid topic. Sort of personified by Hot Pierce Brosnan. Yeah, Hot Pierce Brosnan. Yeah, yeah. yeah. He so looks so good yeah, in that last so scene when he's up the gun. Yeah, yeah. And him in the pool. Yeah. Right. yeah. Oh, but yeah, it's really what they do. I was thinking about it. It's similar to Dunkirk, how you never see Germans in Dunkirk. Yeah, like, you exactly, only see yeah. the IRA really twice in the movie. And even when yeah. you see them at the beginning, you're not even sure that they are the IRA. It's almost like the monster yeah. you can't see is so much more scary yeah, than yeah. the monster you can. Yeah, they never make it out because like, there's no real accent. Like, There's no Northern Irish accent there. And like Pierce Brosnan, I think he has one line where he's just like, Hi, Apparently, after gay guy in the bathhouse. One of the, on IMDb, one of the facts about the movie is that he improvised that line. <laughs> He improvised oh, Future James Bond <laughs> I think there's two Really iconic scenes We've got to talk about in When discussing Bond mm, and Friday And Bob yeah. Hoskins in it um, Yeah I just want to run down Some of the insults He says Go for it He calls them A pair of wankers a pair of wankers Great yeah. He starts off with that yeah, yeah. Then he calls um, He says A sleeping partner is one thing You're in a fucking coma <laughs> Great You're in a fucking coma One of them tries to interrupt him And he says Shut up You long streak of paralysed piss <laughs> And then he's talking about how he's going to side with the Germans instead of the Americans, even though there are no Germans. But he's like, yeah. I'm looking for someone to contribute to what England has given the world. Culture, sophistication, genius. A little bit more than a fucking hot dog. What a fucking load of bullshit. Yeah, but so, what yeah. a burn, though. Yeah, what a burn. Yeah, yeah. And then he ends the scene with, as you said, uh, the mafia of shit him. Yeah, yeah. Which, so good. Yeah. But then I think what's even more famous than The Long Good Friday is that ending. Yeah, yeah. It's the most iconic yeah. part of the movie. It's the yeah. most, the bit where you realize, like, Hoskins is like, a world class actor yeah exactly yeah yeah. basically he thinks that he has um, neutralized the threat yeah, yeah. against him because he um, cold, kills people in cold yeah, blood yeah he kills people in cold blood and yeah. then he goes to the Americans goes right back to his roots essentially yeah Yeah, and he goes to the Americans like it's all sorted and yeah, they're yeah. leaving to yeah, end the plane yeah. which is when he has this big tourade and then as he's leaving that hotel he gets into a car and you realize it's not his driver yeah, it's yeah. the IRA mm. and they have his driver like, by the way called Razors great amazing nickname for a right hand man um, yeah, and it's ama- that seems amazing because it basically he runs like this emotional gamut from denial to anger to despair to acceptance and finally some kind of grudging admiration. Like relief, you can see, yeah, almost. relief maybe. Yeah. yeah, you can see him kind of smirk, and Pierce Brosnan is there smirking at him the whole time. It's basically the five stages of grief trimmed down into two minutes, basically of, of no time. speaking, of no speaking, just at all. his yeah. face. It's like, and it's, it reflects the beginning of the film as well because the first five minutes of the film are basically totally silent. Do you know why the music is so loud in that scene? Kind of like a 70s Italian mm. giallo movie yeah. is what it reminded me of. It's meant to drown out the noise of the director, John McKenzie, who was giving constant verbal direction oh, okay. to Bob Hoskins <laughs> the entire time to guide his acting. Because yeah. that was actually the first scene of the film they filmed. Okay. As director, John McKenzie, he was the person who was driving. He just told Bob Hoskins the events of the story and told Bob Hoskins, like, yeah, respond. How do you feel yeah, about yeah. this? He kept the sound levels to get them to sync. Um, the producers just decided to mute the whole thing. Yeah. And then, you know, just have his face because it mm. conveys it all. No wonder he would be a future Oscar nominee. 100%. I actually watched a movie called The Honorary Consul for this. My thinking of covering it was like I was going to discover some new gem. Yeah. 
or an old gem, I should say, because it was teamed up Bob Hoskins with John McKenzie again oh, okay, just three cool. years later yeah. to adapt a Graham Greene novel. Ooh. And I was like, oh, this could be great. Yeah, it wasn't that great. Yeah. <laughs> but um, Bob Hoskins did get a BAFTA. He's in more of a supporting role this yeah, time around. Yeah. The movie is like a classic Graham Greene story in a lot of ways in the sense that it's a love triangle yeah. that takes place in a time of political instability. Yeah. So not unlike The Quiet American or yeah. The End of the Affair, which oh, was on a Neil yeah. Jordan movie as well. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, it's this one's set in seventies Argentina, and Richard Gere plays a half English, half Latin doctor. And immediately you start to realize why you might not know this immediately movie. Immediately, I don't believe it. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> his father was a political rebel who went missing and was believed to have been kept prisoner. So when he returns to Argentina, he wants to kind of be closer to him and maybe help him get free. Yeah. And he, while he's there, he meets uh, the honorary consul of the title, who is this drunken British diplomat played by Michael Caine. Oh, okay. And he also meets an old friend who trained to be a priest, but left to become a rebel too. So Gear ends up having an affair with Caine's younger wife, mm. but also agrees to provide information to his old friend that would enable him to kidnap an American politician that is to be chaper- chaperoned around by Caine. Oh, okay, yeah. Um, this is so that they could use him to demand the release of prisoners like Gear's father. However, the kidnappers mess up and take Caine. <laughs> and th- he's this washed up diplomat that no one cares yeah. about and Gear is caught in this ethical dilemma because he wants to keep seeing Kane's wife who may or may not be carrying his child mm. but he doesn't want Kane to die this is the mo- most po- complex plot I've heard of in a while yeah that's a thing as well because I think it's a great moral dilemma yeah. for a story and I imagine the Grain Green novel's amazing he says it's one of his favourite books and the stuff I've read of him The End of the Affair is yeah. a book that makes me ball my eyes out <laughs> but this movie yeah you don't really like it and I, I think Prisky Gear is really miscast yeah um, I think he nails the character who's this person who thinks he's a lot more slick than he is yeah, yeah. but the accents are a real distraction okay yeah and then the movie is, is strangely icy and slow moving um, when you compare it with adapt- adaptations of other Graham Greene yeah. books there's not a lot of passion here you don't really like any of the characters with the exception of Kane's you don't really know why they do what they do which is a problem and to be really gripped by what decision the lead character is going to make you don't have to necessarily like them, but you have to be interested in them. And I only was really in fits and starts. Yeah, yeah. It also takes very long to get to the ethical dilemma because oh, okay. the story is so complex. There's a lot of like moving parts that you have to yeah, put into yeah, a thing. Yeah. Um, but that said, Bob Hoskins is great. Where does he come into it? So he has this great mustache. Oh, excellent. He plays this person called Colonel. As, as good as Super Mario Brothers? As good as he is as Mario Mario in Super he Mario Brothers? It's not, he doesn't look unlike how okay. he looks. Because <laughs> he's always wearing these kind of army overalls. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, he plays Colonel Perez, who okay. weirdly kept reminding me, in at least the early pastures, of Brendan Gleeson and the yeah. guard. Okay. Because he's, um, there's a scene where he and Gear are having quiet drinks in a brothel, as, you, as yeah, one uh, does. As you do, as you do in the 70s in Argentina. Yeah, and it's somewhere where Perez says the workers take real good care of him, <laughs> and you're like, ooh. ooh. And uh, Bob Hoskins, it kind of, the scene opens in media res, and Bob Hoskins is lamenting the fact that a couple of smugglers wouldn't cut him in on their racket of flying in cheap booze and cigarettes into the country. Yeah. And he's like, they couldn't trust me. One of the disadvantages of a policeman's life. <laughs> and then the scene ends with him leaving the table with one of the prostitutes and saying, one of the advantages of a policeman's <laughs> life. And it kind of strikes that nice tone of being yeah. both quite funny that in the middle of this turmoil, he's having like the time of his yeah, life. Yeah. But also very seedy. Yeah. Does he do an Argentinian accent? No, he does kind of generic Latin America or South American where he kind of just talks in like a gravelly voice okay, and it, yeah, it, yeah, it, yeah. He, it works his like, voice it's is gravelly anyway yeah, so, yeah. So, but he, he doesn't he doesn't do Cockney but he just kind of talks deep oh yeah <laughs> yeah as the film goes on though you start to realise that he has been overseeing a lot of the torturing yeah. of the people his government are labelling subversives um, he at one point asked Gear if he'd work as an 
unhand prison doctor and Gear says, what, so I can tell you when someone is fit enough to be tortured? And Hoskins is like, all right, all right, I'll find somebody else. <laughs> he has that attitude to it. And the film ends with um, us seeing Hoskins as Perez doing something quite cold and chilling. Mm. But as I said, this is a, a Hoskins-Gear team-up in, yeah. a, in a sense. Yeah. And a better Gear-Hoskins team-up is the Cotton Club. Ooh, have yeah. you heard of the Cotton Club? I have. It's uh, one of Francis Ford Coppola's early failures is what I remember it as. Early winners, if you ask me. Well, uh, well it was a big flop at the yeah, time, but it, it didn't. Mean. It yeah. was critically acclaimed, and yeah, it's yeah. actually just gotten re-restored and put like fifteen more minutes back into it. And oh, people are you? saying okay. it's great. New York was their kingdom. This was their playground. The Cotton Club. So the film revolves around the Cotton Club, this real-life nightclub from '30s Harlem, mm. which was this hip spot where celebrities, gangsters, and artists all converged and. Black people could not initially patronize there, but the venue featured many of the most popular black entertainers of the era <coughs> performing for their white mm. clientele. So it's like a green book of the 1970s, is it? The movie does mostly fo- focus on Richard Gere, who is yeah. this white sax player. Oh, okay. However, yeah. there is a lot of like heavy subplots about the black community at the time, and basically Gregory Hines, who was this famous black tap dancer, yeah. he's pretty much the second character, and he has his own arc that's happening kind of to the corner yeah, of all yeah. these stories. And that one, he has a girlfriend who's a singer in the club. Her dad is black, but she's fair-skinned, and oh, she's okay. passing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think there is enough of an exploration of the racial mores yeah, of that yeah, time yeah. that it doesn't just feel like Green Book. Oh, okay, Do you good. Know what I mean? yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But um, yeah, but it does mostly focus on Gear, who plays Dixie Dwyer. Jesus. Great name. I love it. <laughs> I love it. A musician who saves this uh, volatile real-life gangster play, whose name is Dwight Schultz. He's played by James Ramar. Okay, yeah. Bad guy in 48 Hours. Dexter's dad. <laughs> People know him as. Um, at first, it enables him to progress his career and play the Cotton Club. Um, the gangster says he owes him a life debt. So he's oh, like, okay, anything yeah. you want, I'll sort you out. One of these people. <laughs> However, Schultz is really crazy. And their connection uh, eventually becomes a problem for Dixie, especially when he falls for the gangster's mall, who's this aspiring yeah. nightclub owner played by Dan Lane. Oh, okay. But here we meet Hoskins because he plays Oni Man. Repeat that? <laughs> Oni Man, who's a real, real guy. Okay. This time, Irish descent. Okay, yeah. Cool. Yeah. Um, he ran the Cotton Club, and he's sort of Schultz's boss, but also his enemy. So Schultz, he has to give a certain amount of his profits to Oni, which he really resents. Meanwhile, Oni hates how unpredictable Schultz is and how he doesn't have any class. Yeah. And at one point, Schultz like kills a rival as Oni is trying to broker a peace deal between the two. And it's a really funny scene because Oni is like, someone should cut out your brain and pickle it. <laughs> Hoskins is insults. You could just, like, they can do, yeah. like, you know the way that there's that compilation video of Nicolas Cage freaking out? Yeah, you could yeah. do, like, Bob Hoskins insulting people. Oh, yeah, be the that'd best. be unreal, be yeah. 14 minutes long. <laughs> but, yeah, Dixie goes to Oni and says, like, you got to help me out. Like, Schultz is crazy. And because Dixie and Gear are so fucking fuego, yeah. Oni says, like, oh, I can use my Hollywood connections to send you out there do yeah. some screen tests. And Gear becomes a big star in gangster films. <laughs> Hoskins' role in the Cotton Club is quite small, yet I think it's sort of pivotal. The film, I think, is Coppola's attempt to merge this old-school Hollywood style of filmmaking, like particularly 30s gangster flicks and old musicals, with more modern sensibility. Mm. So on the one hand, you have these very glamorous costumes and settings. You have these long scenes of musicians and dancers performing. You have this like pulpy 30s dialogue. Yeah. But there's also these moments of shocking violence. Uh, there's a lot of swearing. Yeah. And there's a dissection of the racism of the era that you wouldn't see in these older flicks. Yeah. And while sometimes these warring elements jar, a performance like Hoskins really helps unify them. Yeah. Because he looks and sounds so perfect to play this older wise gangster who, despite his crimes, is more noble than someone like Schultz who has yeah. no class. Which is a very old style Hollywood idea. Yeah, yeah. You even see it when you compare something like The Godfather to Goodfellas. Oh. Like, and Goodfellas comes out like six years after the Cotton Club, so yeah, it's yeah. sort of right in the middle of those two things. 
And um, when we like first meet Oni, he's arranging flowers. He looks so sweet. <laughs> and at the end of the movie, when this new wave of gangsters start popping up, like Lucky Luciano, he realizes his time is up gracefully. Mm. And he's like, the bracket's getting too hard. I'm going to exit. Yeah. You know, yeah. It's really nice. But Oscar Hoskins also sounds like great delivering the type of menacing threats that you'd see in a more contemporary movie yeah, like yeah. The Long Good Friday. Um, I mentioned the thing there. Someone should cut out your brain and pickle it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Amazing line. <laughs> His performance also gets extra points because his right-hand man, Frenchie, in the movie is played by Fred Gwynn, who is 6'5", and is best known for playing Herman Munster. He <laughs> has that really deep voice. Yeah. So them two, always together, look yeah. hilarious. Oh, of course. But, but they also have like really good banter. So while I'm recommending like, the movie for Hoskins, I think The Con Club is a fantastic film in its own right. When I mentioned earlier that the two modes of storytelling that's trying to do sort of clash, in the last act where Coppola starts wrapping up the story and like flying through time, you have these like performances of the Cotton Club, the gangland warfare and the emotional resolutions of the story all colliding in this like Eisensteinian montage. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's really like electric and uh, it's almost like, you know, the concophony of sounds at the end of like a long classical music piece. Oh, it all just yeah, comes yeah, together. Yeah. It's beautiful. Yeah. And uh, I'm not the only one who thinks so because it's just been restored. You know? Okay. How long is this film? It, the cut I watched was 129 minutes. That's not too bad. And I think they put it to 140. Oh, okay. I was expecting three hours just from all the stuff that was happening in it. No, no. <laughs> it, it's really good. Okay, cool. Yeah. Any th- other Hoskins movies you like to talk about? Well, speaking of noir and pulpy stuff, um, I watched Two Framed Roger Rabbit, and I think you did as well. I did. Yeah. Watched it this morning. It was so good. Uh, it's really, really good. Um, yeah, it's probably the best of those kind of movies that attempt to merge, like, live action with animation. Like, the only other examples I can think of the best of which is probably Detective Pikachu or if you're like a contrarian Looney Tunes back in action and Space Jam yeah Space yeah. Jam's kind of sucks it kind of sucks yeah. yeah yeah. it's like a fun kind of meme film and yeah. then you watch it when you're 22 and you're like oh this is a pile of shit it's also like not really a movie it's the most yeah, capitalist yeah. thing yeah, exactly. you can ever, ever exist yeah. yeah yeah but Bob Hoskins plays he plays like a private detective Eddie Valiant in 1947 Hollywood um, and he's broke but, so he's hired to investigate Jessica Rabbit, Roger Rabbit's wife, and he's hired to um, take pictures of her with um, Acme, who's like basically the head of the Acme company, and uh, kind of get them to break up to get rid of Jessica Rabbit out of the picture so Roger Rabbit can fo- can focus on his job. And then it ends up with Robert, Roger Rabbit being framed for Acme's murder, and that starts a whole kind of nightmare adventure into Toontown for uh, Eddie. Eddie as well, his brother was killed by a tune. Yeah, who dropped a piano dropped on his piano head. On, <laughs> dropped a piano on his head. And it's uh, it's so good because Bob Hoskins takes it mostly seriously. Like he yeah. plays it straight for most of the film. It's like um, Humphrey Bogart or Robert Mitchum. Exactly. Yeah. In this world of yeah, tunes, yeah. and he doesn't acknowledge it as being like weird. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's great. Yeah. I love it. Hey, Judge. Gonna die and rabbit deserve a last request. Yeah, nose plugs would be nice. I think you want a drink. Now, the character Hoskins plays, he's like, he's really hard-boiled and grizzled. He's an alcoholic. It's an animation, kind of animation mixed with live action. So you kind of expect it to be a children's film, but like characters die like quite graphically, like they're melted in acid and stuff like that. They talk about sex. Yeah, they really laugh weird. to death. He says like son of a bitch at one point. Um, it's like He wouldn't really be out of a pl- out of place in, like, if this was like a PG version of LA Confidential or some other James Elroy adaptation. I think it's really going for Chinatown. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Mm. This is Toontown, Eddie. Yeah. <laughs> Forget it, Eddie. It's Toontown. Yeah, one of those. Mm. I think one thing I really saw in Bob Hoskins' performance when he first meets Jessica Rabbit, which is like oof, one of those scenes, um, 
you would believe she's real the way he looks at her. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Which yeah. is crazy because he must have been looking at nothing. Yeah, and that's another part, insane part of the film. He was saying he, I was reading interviews where he was saying he was seeing weasels in real life in people's like hats. He was having, basically he was having hallucinations because of the film. Because they filmed for eight months and he was just seeing animated characters in the real world. What? Yeah. So he, he trained this movie so hard yeah. that he started seeing cartoons. Yeah. You mentioned Detective Pikachu and I think I liked Detective Pikachu when I saw mm. it I thought it was fine. Mm. I, it's weird to say like I don't think it lived up to the hype or anything like yeah, that but there was yeah. so much talk about the movie and then you go see it and you're like this is like good it's fine. Yeah. But, it's a good kids movie is what I hear. Yeah but this it's a bad noir it, movie. This made it look bad yeah. because <laughs> um, I've heard interviews with the writers of that film um, which similarly blends a detective mystery with cartoon characters yeah. and they were discussing that they wanted the film to feel like an old noir and I think it looks like that but instead of casting someone like Hoskins who is perfect by yeah. that kind of hard-boiled detective the cast like Justice Smith yeah. and Ryan Reynolds in the lead roles, who are great in their own way, yeah. but they don't really have that energy. But I, and I love how like sincere Hoskins is yeah. in this movie. I, th- I find Who Framed Roger Rabbit really relatable because it's one man's battle against foolishness just in order to get the job done. Mm. Like he has to just fight, just to move from A to B. When it's falling pianos and al- anvils in front of him, there's like goo in his path. The, his only method of transportation is a personified cab called Benny or something. Yeah, yeah, it's insane. And he's just like, oh, yeah, like, like, oh God's sake. Yeah, yeah. And there's no, none of that like detached 90s irony. Yeah, you exactly. Have, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. That like the type of thing that Ryan Reynolds would be doing in Detective Pikachu. Yeah, you know? yeah. There's this one problem I have with the film. I think the animation is like, it can lead to occasional tonal inconsistencies. Because there's a bit where um, they're in this, uh, Roger Rabbit and uh, Eddie are in the cinema together. And Eddie is talking about why he doesn't work with tunes anymore and why he doesn't like them. And it's because his brother was killed, you know, dropped a piano on him, whatever. Which is funny in its own right, but I think Bob Hoskins really commits to the monologue. And then Roger Rabbit bursts out in floods of, like, vaudeville tears. And it's like, okay, this is kind of... Roger Rabbit's... Really jars. Roger Rabbit's really annoying. That's I what I think, as a character. I think part, uh, part, of his, part of the performance is really annoying, but I think other parts are really good. Like, I really like his voice. I hate it. I really like it's it. It's like nails okay, on yeah. chalkboards, mate. No, I just, I'm not a big Looney Tunes person. Yeah, yeah. You know? I am, so. Jessica Rabbit, though. Oof. She's cool. Yeah, she's cool. That's one word for her. Yeah, <laughs> that's a way, very politically correct, Stephen. Moving on. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, I was happy because I was trying to like work out, like, how many Looney Tunes do I know? I was yeah. like, is Woody Woodpecker a Looney Tune? Yeah. And then Woody Woodpecker shows up. I was like, yes! Yeah. Uh, 1947, that kind of end of that era is like when LA was becoming like a national city in its own right. Like, uh, they were building the freeway. And these are things that are discussed in, like, the likes of LA Confidential and the Black Dahlia and stuff like that. But Who Framed Roger Rabbit basically posits the question, like, what if progress in the name of capitalism is bad? Judged to him by Christopher Lloyd. His his big thing is, like, he's going to build a freeway, which they did around that time. And he's going to surround it with gas stations and all these stuff. And Bob Hoskins is like, that's a terrible idea. No one would go to that. What yeah, the hell? Yeah, it's yeah. really funny because that's exactly what happened. Yeah, yeah, it's exactly what happened, yeah. Um, can we talk about Mona Lisa as well? Because well, we, we yeah. might as well stay noiry. Yeah, yeah. You know? I feel like the Hoskins' best movies are noiry or mm. gangster related. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, he plays George, who's an ex-con turned driver for a high-class call girl, uh, Simone, played by Kathy Tyson, and he's eventually roped into um, finding her friend who uh, has gone missing or is, has been abducted by like a violent pimp, and so he's basically drawn back into his old life, even though he's trying to like forge new connections with his old friend Denny who's played by Michael Caine who's like a big time crime boss now and with Simone as well who uh, he falls in love with her and he's trying to be develop more than a friendship with her she was trapped from the first time he met her she was trapped like a bird in a cage 
but he couldn't see it. Well, he liked her too much. And he was the sort that couldn't see what was in front of his face. And there she was, in pain. It's a cool movie because we we studied this in a crime media class yeah, in yeah. college as well. Which I'm just realising now how much Hoskins was a pillar in yeah, education yeah. and <laughs> film. But we kind of compared this with Double Indemnity, which is a film uh, with has like a classic femme fatale. Yeah, yeah. Where the person is just pure evil. But yeah. it's kind of great. Yeah. Because um, at least it's like a strong female character, which yeah. there weren't a lot of in yeah. movies of that era. Whereas this one, I think the term was neo femme. Yeah. Where the character who's played by Kathy Tyson, yeah, Simone, Simone, yeah, she is deceiving uh, Hoskins's character. Yeah, yeah, but for a but, good cause. Yeah, for yeah. it's not because she is doing it for yeah. some sort of monetary gain yeah. or selfish reason. She just wants to like escape the life. Yeah, and it's very rude for her. Yeah, you know? it's very hard to hate her. Uh, like you've root for both characters essentially because this man he's done his time. You know, he's served his sentence basically. He's done his debt, paid his debt to society, and you just want him to see him at least if not get the girl then at least get a better life out of it and you want to see Simone you know escape her the pressures of being a high class call girl essentially yeah. mm. and you have these really good emotionally charred scenes of them in a car together yeah. and he's driving around and you sort of see him looking at her through the rear view yeah, mirror yeah. all that stuff um, yeah. and he's a very lonely person yeah, you know? he's yeah. just come out of jail and yeah. only has two friends in his life yeah, you yeah. Know? it's a movie about class basically because obviously Simone puts on airs because she's a high class call girl and obviously her clients don't want to know that they're with a woman who has basically come up from the slums essentially or has been brought up out of the slums and he's you know at the bottom of the ladder because he's a working class British person who's been sent to prison and is now out and um, the scene that does it best is when he's in the hotel waiting on Simone and he's a real posh hotel and the waiter comes up to him and asks him does he want to drink and he's like yeah tea and the waiter's like Earl Grey or Lapsang Chong?" and he's just just tea (laughs) (laughs) and the waiter's like of course sir (laughs) and that really just right down the middle gets what the movie is about and you're like yes now I know yeah, what's great about Hoskins is that, and I think he's even said, talking about this in interviews himself, is that he doesn't look like a classical movie star. Yeah. So, I have, do you I have some quotes? I have a quote here, yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah. It was an interview with, I think there was The Telegraph back in 2012 for um, Christmas Carol. Oh, oh yes, yeah, 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 yeah. His opening quote for the interview was, my own mum wouldn't call me pretty. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I saw he played uh, Mussolini in a movie and I think he's played a couple of like dictators yeah yeah he was saying that most dictators were short fat middle aged and hairless besides Danny DeVito there's only me to play them <laughs> so any <laughs> anytime there is this great crime thriller and you know a lot of crime thrillers focus on these like unglamorous yeah, types yeah. of people Hoskins is like a great person yeah, to get for them yeah. and he just has he's such range he's such maybe heft. he's the British James Gandolfini yeah or yeah. like James Caan or yeah, people like yeah. that yeah, yeah that's a yeah. Good, good read forget yeah. Joe Pesci <laughs> <laughs> Also, he was the second choice to play Rob De Niro's role of Al Capone yeah, in The yeah. Untouchables. And he was like, a great quote from that as well. Yeah, yeah or he's the, he was the backup for yeah. De Niro. And then De Niro ended up accepting the role. And Brian De Palma sent him a $20,000 check mm. saying, like, thanks for being such a great stand-in. Yeah. And Bahawaskin's like, do you have any other movies that you don't want me to be in? <laughs> Which, you know, yeah. he was a very funny man. He was. He was yeah, a very yeah. funny man. Yeah. Um, like he said once about acting, uh, great quotes in real life as well as from his movies. He's like, I fit into this business like a sore foot into a shot soft shoe. Or like uh, Pauline Kael, the film critic for the New York Times, called him a testicle on legs. He was a bit... He was That's a, mean. Yeah, it's very, very cruel. Just so yeah. casually cruel. He was a bit kinder to himself. He's called himself alternately as a cube and a teddy bear. Yeah, yeah. he's a teddy. He oh. is a teddy bear, yeah, yeah. Um, you should, if you want to treat, go onto his IMDb quotes page because the first one is like, method acting's a load of bollocks. <laughs>
unlike a lot of character actors, he has consistently worked up until the time he died. Yeah. And was constantly in these very big movies or in these small roles yeah. in these movies from interesting directors, yeah. like indie dramas and stuff like that. I think a directors just liked to work with him because he was one of these people who just showed up, said yeah, the lines, yeah, and went home. He, there's another great quote from him where he's talking about the roles he likes to take. Mm. And he says, you reach a point where the cameo is the governor. You go in there for a couple oh. of weeks. You're paid a lot of money. Everyone treats it like the crown jewels. You're in, you're out. If the movie's shit, nobody blames you. You I know think, what I mean? Yeah. It's wonderful. I think you said that about Oliver Stone's... Uh, Nixon. Nixon, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Which I've never seen. I've heard it's good, though. I've heard it's brilliant, yeah. There's yeah. a scene, apparently, where Bob Hoskins, he plays J. Edgar Hoover, who was the, head of, the first head of the FBI, and is apparently, or was possibly gay in real life. That's weird casting me. I don't think of Hoskins as being Hooverish. Well, I think uh, a lot of people see... Hoover as Leonardo DiCaprio no I was thinking uh, Billy Crudup in Public Enemies oh Jesus yeah. oh my god yeah that was another good one yeah, yeah. but uh, there's a bit in uh, Nixon the Oliver Stone picture where um, the Oliver Stone picture uh, <laughs> movies yeah. now Oliver in picture Technicolor yeah. <laughs> American International Pictures presents an RKO production anyway <laughs> moving on sorry um, I could do this all day um, uh, Bob Hoskins eats like a slice of avocado out of a twink's mouth that's how it, yeah, that's how it was described to me. Yes, uh, but like I want to talk about some of Hoskins' small roles briefly because he's in Brazil, Terry Gilliam movie, mm, and yeah, yeah, very small role, but yeah. like one of the best science fiction movies ever. He's in Doomsday, a personal favorite mm. of mine from Neil Marshall. Basically, Escape from New York yeah. meets Mad Max yeah, meets my, a lot of a load of other eighties yeah. horror movies like that. Yeah, my man was like, "There's a Bob Hoskins film on Netflix, Andrew, isn't there?" And I was like, and I looked, I searched his name in the bar, and I was like. Uh, there is, but it's not the one you're thinking of. <laughs> and, and it was Doomsday. Neil yeah. Marshall said that he cast Bob Hoskins because he wanted that longer Friday energy. Mm, and yeah. I think a lot of these directors grew up thinking like Hoskins was like the coolest person. Yeah, so they yeah. put him in their movies now yeah. as they grow up. And then also he's in um, Go Go Tales, which is Abel Ferrer's really strange comedy slash remake of the John Cassavetes movie, The Killing of a Chinese Bookie. Mm. Uh, Go Go Tales, where it um, features Willem Dafoe. But also Asi Argento, who tongue kisses a dog in the movie. No joke. Oh, boy. Yeah. Yeah. Weird, weird flicks. Yeah. Uh, but I, the one I want to highlight is his very unsettlingly turn in Adam E. Goyen's 1999 thriller, Felicia's Journey. Oh, I haven't seen that one. Yeah. Adam E. Goyen, probably best known for being the director of The Sweet Hereafter, which is a really beautiful movie. But this one, um, Hoskins plays Joe, who's this lonely old man who spends his days preparing dishes as he watches old videotapes of a cooking show hosted by his mother. Okay. It's very weird. And then one day he meets Felicia, who's played by Elaine Casting, an Irish actress. She's a Catholic teenager from Ireland who, after her Protestant boyfriend leaves her for life in England, discovers she's pregnant and just decides to follow him over and track mm. him down. Her father, who's played by Jared McSorley. Okay. Father Todd Unctious himself <laughs> um, kicks her out of the house and says, like, you're carrying the enemy within you. <laughs> really good. Charmed by Joe and his offers to help her find the father of her unborn child, uh, Felicia and him form a bond. Yeah, all's not right with Joe. Mm-hmm. Tells I, gu- I guessed as much. Yeah, he tells details about his life that we know from just having followed him in the airports of the movie and true. He steals money from her. We also see that he has cameras in his car and a room full of tapes with videos containing his conversations with other lost girls. And oh dear. Using lost yeah. in quotation yeah. points. This is a movie that we've seen before. Um, it's kind of a stalker thriller. Yeah, yeah. Even this year we've had Greta and yeah, Ma. Uh, two movies directed about... Directed by Neil Jordan. Totally true. Mona Lisa. These are like two movies specifically about like older figures like preying on the young. Mm. And even with that though, like Felicia's Journey really worms its way under your skin. Mm. And apparently it's like the 
the attention detail. It's based off a novel from William Trevor and like Joe, for instance, lies about having a sick wife in hospital, possibly to make Felicia feel more safe staying with him. Mm. And to sell this illusion even more, he goes out to a charity shop and buys loads of women's clothes, underwear, shoes. Then he hangs the underwear on a railing in his kitchen and makes a big song and dance of having them there, like pretending he's really embarrassed in front of Felicia. (laughs) So there's just these little details that another movie would like glance over. Yeah. But then like the other reason is like it's all down to Hoskins because it's in the other movies we've discussed Hoskins like sixty to seventy percent charming, thirty, forty percent menacing. Mm. Here it's vice versa. That said, he really downplays a lot of his natural qualities in Felicia's journey. Instead of that gravelly cockney accent, he's doing this soft spoken Birmingham dialect. Yeah. Which is unlike I've seen him do before. Instead of the confidence and energy he typically radiates here, he's very quiet and mannered and like somebody who's really good at putting on airs without drawing too much attention to themselves. Yeah. And you see the wheels turning in his brain. Like there's a scene where Felicia tells him she's planning on traveling a few towns away because she believes she has a lead on where her boyfriend is staying. He goes, oh, I'm going that way tomorrow. Like I could give you a yeah. lift. She goes, no, it's fine. Doing the responsible thing and not yeah, getting into yeah. a car with a stranger. And he immediately replies, oh, I understand. You probably want to get there today. It's grand. Toodaloo. In a way which feels natural, but also yeah. a little bit rehearsed. Yeah, and yeah. as he's pulling away, she's like, oh, actually, a lift would be great. Because there's that presumption that if he was a bad guy, yeah. he would have been more forceful and yeah, really yeah, creepy. Yeah. So what's really scary of this performance that anyone could be fooled by Joe. Like, he just looks like an average old person. Yeah. He's yeah. nice that you'd see on the street. Like, I would have gotten in the car. But even though he's a creep as well, that you also sympathize a little bit with him because whereas Felicia is kicked out by her father after becoming pregnant, yeah. leaving her damaged, Joe's mother was the other way where she's too caring, smothering him. Yeah. We're seeing yeah. clips. And Ebert, Roger Ebert reviewing the movie, he loved this one. He was talking about the topic and he said that anything is toxic in large enough quantities. And with his mother gone now, he's searching for someone to fill the void that he she left yeah. in these uncomfortable ways. So both are messed up down to their parents. And while Joe is in many ways a monster, Hoskins' performance in the script never forgets that he's a real person yeah, too, yeah. whose actions are born out of you know a desire yeah. for connection. Yeah. yeah, I think speaking of monsters uh, and real people, I think Bob Hoskins' most monstrous role was probably Unleashed. Oh, yeah, the that's ge- the first movie I've seen him in. Yeah, same here, actually. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. I caught it on TV in, like, 2008 yeah, or something like that. Yeah, because it's just yeah. one of those Europa core Luke yeah, songs, yeah, yeah. M- things that he wrote on a, you know, yeah. a Sunday afternoon. Yeah. And it was just like, yeah, <laughs> yeah make yeah, it, whatever. Yeah, yeah. yeah, so Bob Hoskins plays Bart, who's, like, a loan shark and a pit fight manager. Uh, he's the manager of Danny, who's, like, his attack dog, basically, with weird racial politics in this one as well. Jet Li. Because Danny is played by Jet Li, like, one of this century's great martial arts actors. But Danny escapes uh, after Bart is shot and presumed dead and is found by uh, Sam who's like a blind pianist played by Morgan Freeman this movie's wild it's crazy because it's set in Glasgow yeah. and Morgan Freeman just runs yeah, a piano yeah. store in Glasgow and with, it's never explained because yeah. Bob Hoskins he's a man with no compassion pity or remorse basically but he really chews on it like he's every line he says in that movie is like gravel it's like it's like chewing on wet cement he doesn't act a lot with his body because it's not a whole lot of his body. He's only five foot six, um, or he was only five foot six. He's uh, he mo- does most of his acting with his face and his voice, and his voice is the most obvious part. I'm surprised he didn't have more voice roles and stuff. Uh, but his face is unreal. Like as we've talked about in the Long Good Friday, his face is incredibly expressive and so good at portraying every kind of emotion on the spectrum. No, oh, totally. I'm kind of sad he didn't get to play the Penguin at some point. Like yeah, I, not- yeah. I think if Christopher Nolan had a made. A Batman movie yeah. where the Penguin was a villain. I think he would have instantly sat in Hoskins. Because exactly, he's yeah. probably somebody who Christopher Nolan grew up on, mm. like Michael Caine, mm. one of those people. Funny enough, Bob Hoskins once said, uh, like, who would you want to play you in a movie of your life? And he was like, Danny DeVito. 
No yeah. way. <laughs> and uh, it's funny because I think Bob Hoskins would have been great in both as the Penguin and in the role Danny DeVito played in LA Confidential in a darker yeah. version of LA Confidential, I'd say. Well, he, he did play uh, another iconic small fat person. Super Mario. Mario Mario and Luigi Mario, yeah. yeah. We gotta do something. We tripped the alarm. What do you think I am, stupid? Yes, but how are we gonna get up, huh? Like Mario's. Ha-ha! Ingeniously. Come on. Come and get it. Come on. Come on, Ruffle Head. Let's see what you're made of. What an insane movie, yeah. Uh, I don't like the movie. He um, and Hoskins does not either. No, Hoskins hates it. But, uh, Super Mario Brothers is an insane movie because yeah. it's like very loosely based on the uh, Super Mario Ga- Brothers game series. And it's weird because the executive producer of the Mario game series, Shigeru Miyamoto, said, I think they were too close to the game series. And it's like, it's as far as you could possibly get. Um, yeah, Bob Hoskins plays Mario Mario, the older Mario brother who's in the red dungarees uh, an American Italian plumber who was sucked into an alternate New York with his brother Luigi Mario who's played by John Leguizamo who are 25 years in the difference in age, in age difference, yeah, yeah. For insta- and are both not Italian yeah yeah. John Leguizamo is Latin American yeah. and Bob Hoskins is obviously English yeah, yeah. Um, the, the Cockney Cagney yeah, oh no yeah, put yeah, him as Mario yeah. <laughs> but it's also weirdly good Good casting. Yeah, good casting, yeah. yeah, yeah. Uh, not a weirdly good movie. No, no. It's an impressive performance despite his hatred for the film because he really he really does commit to it. I don't blame him for hating it because he was injured multiple times. He spent most of his time getting drunk with John Leguizamo. So Dennis Hopper was in that movie. Dennis Hopper and also hated the movie. Not, I don't think anyone knew what was going on. I think the visual effects are quite good. Like all the set design and the production design are quite good. Uh, Hoskins is good. I think mm, maybe, maybe John Leguizamo isn't that good. Super Mario Bros. is a bad film, but it's, it's worth watching for its weirdness, something which is added to by how much Hoskins plays it straight. I don't think Luigiama plays it as straight because he was like a stand-up comedian at the time as well. Mm. He still is now. It's like, what if we made a Lynchian nightmare for kids, essentially? What if we made a David Lynch movie but for kids? Great, now I have to watch it, Andrew. Thanks so much. <laughs> don't. Or do. You know, I'm not, what am I, a cop? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, he's probably the only perfect real-world Super Mario to exist apart from Danny DeVito. I think that's all the movies we wanted to cover. I think so, yeah. I think Hoskins is an incredible actor and yeah. it's a real loss that we don't yeah, have. As Helen anymore. Mirren said at his funeral, London has lost one of her most beloved sons. And I think that's very true. Um, Andrew, we haven't done this in the last few episodes. Where can people find more of your work? Well, you just look up headstuff.org slash Andrew Carroll and you'll get all my stuff. Film Ireland as well. You can't find me there, but, uh, you know, just look up Mandy or something. Film Ireland review of that. <laughs> You'll get, and uh, all my work will be listed in the links below. You can find me at Headstuff, film section. Yeah. I'm usually yeah. have an article yeah. up there at some point. Uh, Hot Press. I, I write for Travel Hour magazine. Check that out. And on that note, I'll say see you later, Cinephiles. Bye-bye. This has been a production of the Headstuff Podcast Network.